What an awesome morning and a great time already together. And I'm glad to be here. My name is Dale Kaufman, and I'm on the leadership team at Yoder. And it is a, a pleasure to be here today. I bring you greetings from Yoder. And also, I would just like to highlight something else that's going on on our campuses, across all three campuses. And it's something called the Forge Network, and it's a missional, um, a missionary training program. We announced it earlier, and a number of people have decided to join this, and we have actually 16 people from the community and from our three campuses who are starting on a six-month missionary journey to learn more about what it means to um, live our faith in our communities. And it's pretty exciting, and we are... Um, having a good time doing that. We met on Thursday night, and most of it is done online, and people are uh, really getting excited about learning what it means to be a missionary where we live, work, and play. We today are starting a new series about letters, and we're going to be studying the seven letters written to the churches in the book of Revelation. And we're going to be talking about those over the next seven weeks. And on the eighth week, we're going to have a summary week where we um, kind of try to bring it back home and see if we can understand what the Spirit of God might be saying to us in our churches, in our community, in our context here in central Kansas. So we want to just talk today about, first of all, uh, the writer of these letters and the people that he was writing to. And then we want to look at one of those letters in a little more depth today as we study together. So I want to start out today by just talking about letters. We all grew up with letters, and today letters are kind of a lost art. But when I was a kid, we uh, would actually get a piece of paper and write down something and send it in the mail, and we'd get letters, um, uh, business letters, and we would get that letter once a year from the publisher's clearinghouse that said we'd won a million dollars, and uh, that never showed up. And then uh, my mother particularly would look forward to letters. She had a family letter. It's called a circle letter. Has anybody ever heard of a circle letter? Yeah, you may be part of one, but my mother had uh, nine siblings in her family, and they would send this letter around, and it would come around about every three months, something like that. And now and then it would get lost, and my mother would say, I ought to call aunt so-and-so, I won't mention any names, and see where that letter is, because it was probably laying on her counter someplace. But my mother was so excited when she got this letter, because it updated her family news, because people didn't get on the phone and call each other, there was no texting there was, uh, we were past smoke signals when I grew up, but barely. And, uh, uh, but there was no, um, no immediate communication unless it was a real emergency. So I want to start out today with a story because I think we need to understand communication a little bit before we can understand these letters today. And so I'm going to start with a story about two brothers from Texas who were ranchers. And I really didn't have very good luck finding a picture of ranchers, but I did find a couple guys sitting on horses, and they look like cowboys to me. And this was back in the Depression era, 
in the 1930s when there was very poor communication, and these guys uh, decided down there in Texas they needed a new sire for their herd. So they decided to send the one brother up to Oklahoma to check out this ranch where they had sires for sale. And the plan was that he would get on the train, ride up to Oklahoma, get off and go visit these ranches and find the perfect sire for their herd. And they sent along $500 with him because they decided that's their limit. And then once he found the appropriate sire, he was going to telegraph his brother back there in Texas and tell him what kind of equipment he needed to bring to haul this critter back to Texas. And so the uh, brother got on the train with his $500. He went up to Oklahoma and he found the perfect sire. And so he had, and he bought it for $499. He had a dollar left. And he was pretty happy about that. And he went back to the train station to the telegraph office and said, I want to send my brother a message down there in Texas and tell him to come to Alva, Oklahoma and bring the old truck with the stock racks and we're going to take our new sire home. And the telegraph operator said, no, no, that's never going to work because he said, that's very expensive. And he said, what do you mean? I just want to send a message. He said, well, it's a dollar a word and you've given me a lot of words you want to send. So that would cost you a lot of money. And he said, How? Uh, he said well, oh, I only have a dollar. And he said, well, then I guess you can only send one word. So the old boy from... T- Texas walked around the station a while trying to figure out how to send a message to his brother. And finally he reached in his pocket and he wrote on a piece of paper and he wrote that decided he'll just send one word. What could he send one word to his brother to transmit the message that he needed to come to Oklahoma? And so um, he wrote one word on a piece of paper and he handed it to the telegraph guy who looked at him really kind of uh, inquisitive because it said, Man, I, I don't understand how this word's going to do anything at all. And this is the word he sent, comfortable. And uh, he's like, wow, this, how is this going to help your brother at all? And he said, well, you have to know my brother. He's from Texas. And he talks really slow, but he reads even slower. And when he gets this message, he'll know what to do. And if you look at the next, did you all get the message? What's he supposed to do? Comfortable. That's right. And so he got, was able to co- transmit the message. And so you say, what in the world does that have to do with Revelation? Well, nothing. But <laughs> now we'll start over, right? What it has to do with communication. And so if we look at that word and it's like, wow, we can never get a message to, my brother, to a guy in Texas with just sending that one word. Unless we know the guy in Texas, the recipient of the letter, and we know the writer of the letter. Letters, when we look at them without knowing the context with which in they're written, are rather meaningless. Would that make sense? If you took my mother's family letter and pulled out one letter and read that one letter without knowing my mother or her siblings or where they lived, would it mean very much to you? No, it's just words. But if we know the author and if we know the recipient and understand the context in which they're writing and receiving that letter in which it's written, then all of a sudden the body of that letter means something to us. And so that's what we want to do today and in the weeks ahead is we want to look at these letters and look at them in context and see what they mean for us today. 
And so in order to do that, we need to know about the author of the letter. And the best way we can understand the author of the letter is to look in the Bible, and he introduces himself to us, and we uh, can learn about this person who wrote the letter. Now, there's one thing we need to just clear up right away. When we hear that there's going to be a teaching series on Revelation, we think, wow, they're going to prescribe how the world's going to end and that what we're going to look for in the news so that we know when the world's going to end. That is not what we're doing in this series. We're looking at the letters to the seven churches to see what we can learn as a congregation as we live following Jesus in our communities. And so I want to make that clear right up front. But I would invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to the first chapter of Revelation. And if you have a pew Bible, it's going to be the New International Version. And if you have your own Bible, that's fine. And I have chosen to read this morning from the message translation because I think it just adds another um, understanding of what's another perspective of that passage. And I invite you to listen like you're listening to a story this morning. And we are um, good at drawing pictures in our brains of things we hear. So if you could kind of get out the eraser and clear off a little area on your whiteboard in your brain this morning, and then draw a picture of this person, John, and what he saw as we read this passage together. And I think you'll be amazed at what you find on your whiteboard when I'm done reading. So I'm going to start with chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter to us together. Revelation 1, a revealing of Jesus, the Messiah. God gave it to make plain to his servants what is about to happen. He published and delivered it by an angel to his servant John. And John told everything he saw, God's word, the witness of Jesus Christ. How blessed the reader, how blessed the hearers and the keepers of the oracle words, all the words written in this book. Time is just about up. I, John, am writing to this to the seven churches in Asia province. All the best to you from the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. And from the seven spirits assembled before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, loyal witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of all earthly kings. Glory and strength to Christ who loves us, who blood washed our sins from our lives, who made us a kingdom, priests for his father forever. And yes, he's on his way. Riding the clouds will be seen by every eye. Those who mocked and killed him will see him. People from all nations and all times will tear their clothes and lament. Oh yes, the master declares, I am A to Z. I am the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. I am sovereign strong. I, John, with you all the way in the trial and the kingdom and the passion of patience in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of God's word. 
the witness of Jesus. It was Sunday, and I was in the Spirit praying. I heard a loud voice behind me, trumpet clear and piercing, write what you see into a book, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned and saw the voice. I saw a gold menorah with seven branches, and in the center the Son of Man, in a robe and gold breastplate, hair a blizzard of white, eyes pouring fire blaze, both feet furnace-fired bronze, his voice a cataract, right hand holding the seven stars, his mouth a sharp-biting sword, his face a perigee sun. I saw this and fainted dead at his feet. His right hand pulled me upright. His voice reassured me, don't fear. I am first. I am last. I'm alive. I died, but I came to life, and my life is now forever. See these keys in my hand? They open and unlock death's doors. They open and unlock hell's gates. Now write down everything you see, things that are, things about to be, the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and the seven-branched gold menorah. Do you want to know what's behind them? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The menorah's seven branches are the seven churches. Well, I wish I could look and see the picture that you all drew, but that's a graphic description of what John saw that Sunday when he was praying in the Spirit and when Jesus appeared to him in that revelation. Let's talk about that author just a little bit. John, some scholars believe, is the John of the Gospels. The person who wrote the Gospel, John, the John that Jesus called his beloved disciple. Some people, some scholars, think he was a person called John the Elder, who was an elder churchman in the Asia Minor provinces. And some people think that he was John the Evangelist, who was a traveling evangelist named John, who traveled throughout Asia Minor. We don't know for certain, but we do know that this John that was exiled to Patmos was sent there because he refused to quit teaching people about Jesus. He was passionate about that. And because of that passion, they dipped him in hot oil, is what they say, and they sent him to this island. And this island is off the coast of Asia Minor, what today is the country of Turkey. And that island would have been like a prison island, which would be similar to Alcatraz, which you've all heard of perhaps, in the San Francisco Bay. People didn't escape from Patmos. Once you were there, you were stuck there. And so we're not certain, but we believe that the churches may have sent seven representatives over to meet with John to talk to him, that they came from the mainland out to the prison island to see John and then they would have received these letters or this revelation from John. We do know that the recipients 
were all those churches that are scattered along what today is the southwest coastline of Turkey. And up here on the screen we have a map, and we can see the seven churches there with the seven stars. And you can see the island of Patmos down here off to the lower left side is off the coast there, and that's where John was imprisoned. Now, while we have this slide up, I will point out Thyatira. Thyatira is the second church down there under the word Asia, and that is the church that we're going to be talking about today a little bit later on. So all of these churches were scattered in this area, which would have been inland from the coast within 100 miles, and places that Christianity had spread through Paul's missionary journeys as well as Peter's travel through that region earlier. Like I said, we want to talk about Thyatira today. And so we know about John, the author of our letter today, and let's talk about our recipients. Thyatira was located in a region, in a valley, that was a strategic valley for the passage of Roman troops. So when Rome sent troops out on conquests, if they were having conquests in what today is Syria and Lebanon and Israel, they would have to travel through this region. And if we could see the next slide, we can get an idea of where this all fit in the bigger world at the time. Rome is up at the upper left corner of the screen. That would be where the headquarters of the Roman Empire were. And the Roman Empire had spread all the way east through what was Macedonia at the time, which today would be Eastern Europe, and where the two land masses meet there between the Black Sea and the Aegean Sea, that's where Istanbul, Turkey is. And our town, Thyatira, would be just above the A in the word Asia, in the little A there in Little Asia. And I always find it helpful to have some sort of a feeling in my mind how much space we're traveling. So if in Hutchison, Kansas, were Thyatira, Istanbul, where the, the uh, two land masses meet, would be like in Topeka, Kansas. And Rome, over here on this side, would be like Salt Lake City. And Athens, which is down here underneath Corinth, um, that would be about like Guymon, Oklahoma so that we have an idea of how great a distance this is. And we can see how far the apostles had traveled in uh, those times. Thyatira, because of its strategic location, was a big military outpost for the Roman Empire. But after the Romans had achieved their conquest and there was not as much military action, Thyatira turned into a business center, a center for commerce, a place where a lot of metalworking occurred. They said they had a lot of copper smiths there and brass workers. And we see the, the uh, image of Jesus with feet of brass. Brass was the hardest metal known to the people at that time. And brass would have been made by combining zinc and nickel and copper, putting that all together to make this very hard metal. Uh, they also had people who were skilled in uh, weaving, like with wool, because it was a sheep-raising area. So they had a lot of weavers. And then they had people who could dye things, you know. Uh, and they had discovered a special dye made with a root 
that was a purple dye that made a very, a, a very highly sought after uh, product. And the other thing they said, they had a lot of potters. And at some point in here, if you read in the NIV, it talks about in the end when the, the people who are persevering that Jesus will give them an iron rod with which they can smash the, the pottery of that, that is uh, temporary. And he's referring to the people with um, who they worked in their community who were following idols. So we have all these different trades. And this is what made Thyatira unique and which is the basis of our letter today. These trades developed what we call guilds, G-U-I-L-D-S. And guilds were like labor unions. And so if you were a coppersmith, if you wanted to be able to sell your copper in downtown Thyatira or to people passing through, you had to be a member of the Copper Workers Guild. If you were a potter, you had to be a part of the Potter's Guild, the Weaver's Guild, the Dyer's Guild, all of those different guilds. And these guilds were organizations that controlled commerce, but they also were organizations that worshiped different pagan gods, idols, because they felt like these gods gave them prosperous business. And so they would, at their guild meetings, they would offer sacrifices to these pagan gods. They would perform sexual acts on behalf of their pagan god. And so it was a very evil and non-Christ-like environment at those guilds. And the dilemma the church found in Thyatira was, if I don't join a guild, I can't sell my stuff. If I can't sell my stuff, I can't feed my children. See where we're going with that? So that's a very difficult decision to make. You had to make a decision. What was most important? What was the value? What were your beliefs? What was your faith? What did your following Jesus mean? Did it mean that I might live a life of pottery, or of poverty, not pottery, of poverty because I was unable to sell my goods. And that was what we see this letter being written into today, is that environment. So, if we could, we're going to read the letter that was written to the church at Thyatira, and we're going to look for certain things. If we look at the next slide, we will see that in all of these letters, there are certain forms or certain things that John writes in every letter to every church. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking for those forms. The first one is we're going to look for images of Jesus, images of a risen Christ, because it's very clear that he had died and he was risen from the dead. He was now victorious. He held the keys to heaven and to hell. We're looking for images of Jesus. We're looking for affirmations of that church. What are they doing good? What is really working? How are they demonstrating Christ's love? And then we're going to look at the Spirit's critique of the church. What are things that they are having problems with? What are warnings from Jesus to these churches? And the last thing we're going to look at is promises to those churches. And so in order to do that, I would invite us now to turn to Revelation chapter 2 
And I would like to read this letter to the church at Thyatira. Again, I'll be reading from the Message Bible. It starts in verse 18 of chapter 2. And you might say, well, why are we starting with Thyatira and not with Ephesus up at the top? Well, we are, as a pastoral group, we are sharing different churches. If that makes sense, we're sharing different letters. And then we're going to be traveling the circuit to talk about these letters. And that's why I am doing Thyatira today. So I start with verse 18 of chapter 2. Write this to Thyatira, to the angel of the church. And when they talk about the angel of the church, scholars believe that they are talking about the leaders of the church or to the messenger who has come to the island to take the message back to that church to deliver it, to the angel of that church. God's son, eyes pouring fire blaze, standing on feet of furnace-fired bronze, says this. And I'd like to stop right there a little bit. Bronze is an alloy made of those three metals. You can make bronze by chemically reacting those three metals, and you can make it in a cold process, a cool process, okay? Not hot. Or else you can put them in a furnace and heat them so that they, we say, smelt. They actually melt, and they go together and form this particular metal we call bronze. Bronze that is formed in a cold process is not very strong. But bronze that is formed in a fired process that has been tested in the fire is a very, very strong metal. Okay? And I think that's why it's important that we stop there and talk about that. It's furnace-fired bronze. This is the hardest bronze out there. I see everything you're doing for me. Impressive. The love and the faith, the servants and the persistence. Yes, very impressive. You get better at it every day. But why do you let that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, mislead my dear servants into cross-denying, self-indulging religion? I gave her a chance to change her ways, but she had no intention of giving up a career in the God business. I'm about to lay her low, along with her partners, as they play their sex and religion games. The bastard offspring of their idol-loving, idol-whoring I'll kill. Then every church will know that appearances don't impress me. I x-ray every motive and make sure you get what's coming to you. The rest of you Thyatirans, who have nothing to do with this outrage, who scorn this playing around with the devil that gets paraded as profundity, be assured I'll not make life any harder for you than it already is. Hold on to the truth you have until I get there. Here's the reward I have for every conqueror. Everyone who keeps it up, refusing to give up, you'll rule the nations. Your shepherd king rule as firm as an iron staff, their resistance as fragile as clay pots. This was the gift my father gave me. I pass it along to you, and with it the morning star. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, 
the Spirit blowing through the churches. Well, let's take a look at this, if we could, and let's look at it in light of these four things that we were going to look for. The images of a risen Christ, and we mentioned it briefly. He said we had eyes that are blazing fire, this fire that is cleansing, fire that is refining, fire that exposes with the light. And he says the feet of furnace-fired burnished bronze. It wasn't just bronze right out of the oven. It was bronze that was polished. Burnished means polished. It had been rubbed by abrasives to make it very strong. And Jesus, with his bronze feet in this vision John had, was very firm and very solid and lasting. If we then look at the next uh, section, we see that he affirms the church. He affirms this church. He says, I know your deeds. I keep track of what you're doing. I know your love and faith. I know how you love each other and how you love other people and how you act faithfully on my behalf, how you do things because you know that that's what Jesus would want you to do. And your service and your perseverance, your stick to and your persistence. Those are all things that were affirmations for that church. But then we go into the critique of the church. And if we look in the verses 20 through 23, he brings up this lady he calls Jezebel. Jezebel the prophetess. He says, why do you listen to this Jezebel? And if you remember our story from about three weeks ago, we were talking about Elijah. And Elijah had the big showdown at Mount Carmel. You remember that? With the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal were the prophets of Jezebel. Jezebel was a very evil person who led the children of Israel into idol worship. And John, the person writing this book to Thyatira, says, there's a lady who's going in your community who's encouraging people to follow idols. And more study indicates that she was encouraging people to join these trade guilds. Say, hey, it's all right if you join a trade guild. It's all right if they're worshiping idols and if they're offering food to idols and if they're having sex on behalf of idols. That's just what you have to do to do business today. It's just part of our culture. We have to fit in so that we can have money, so that we can do things in our communities. And Jesus is saying that will not last. He's saying that is wrong and that that is cross-denying and self-indulging religion. Cross-denying. It's like saying, Jesus, the work you did on the cross doesn't matter because we can live the way we want. And he says that will not last. He also says that the sexual immorality that they engaged in on behalf of those idols, that that was very wrong. And those are all things that he called the church out on. If we look at the next section, the last part of this chapter, we see promises for the church, promises of things that they can expect if they will remain faithful. He says, I will repay each one of you according to your deeds. 
I know what you've done. I think the Message Bible says, I x-ray your things. I know the real motive behind it. I will make those who commit adultery suffer. I will search hearts and minds. To those who are standing firm, he says, I won't make your lives any harder. You've suffered enough. Just hang in there. You've suffered enough. And to those who remain faithful to the end, who are victorious, I will give authority over the nations. I will give them the morning star. And when he's talking about the morning star, he's talking about Jesus. I will give them Jesus. And so there are promises for that. So today, as we think of this and think what it means for us, and particularly this week as we celebrate the birth of our, the, uh, birthday of our nation, we are constantly faced with the same decisions the people in Thyatira were. We have things in our lives, in our communities, where people would say, hey, it's all right to be a part of that because we need to do that to be a part of the culture. And it's okay if you compromise what Jesus taught because it helps us to fit in. And we have to decide every day who is our master. We have to decide every day where is our citizenship? Where are our true loyalties? Who do we follow? Do we follow the the pull of our culture or do we follow Jesus, even though it's a difficult path to follow? Jesus calls us to follow him unapologetically, to say, I know that this is what Jesus wants and I know that this is the way Jesus would have me to live, and then to take that path, even though others may come against us, and even though it may not be economically or socially um, uh, something that brings us wealth or fame. My next thought for this is, am I a Jesus magnet? Is my life a Jesus magnet? When people see me, does that encourage them to follow me? Not to follow me, to follow Jesus. When people see my life, does that encourage them to follow Jesus? And I think that's something I try to ask myself every day, and I don't do it. Some days I'm not a very good magnet. I, I will admit that. And how do we, on a daily basis, get out of bed in the morning and say, Jesus, what do you have me to do today? How do you want me to follow you? That's going to be my primary goal. And so, this morning I leave you with a verse from First Peter, Second Peter, which I find encouraging. It says, and this is uh, Peter talking about what he had seen from God. It says, we can be more sure of what we saw and heard. God's glory, God's voice. The prophetic word was confirmed to us. You'll do well to keep focusing on it. It's the one light you have in a dark time as you wait daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your life. You'll do well to keep focusing on God's voice. God's voice is just as present today as it was back then in Thyatira in the time of John. God wants to communicate with us if we're willing to listen. And we're going to ask you in the next couple of weeks to listen and pray about what God would have us to hear as a community. And in your bulletin, you have a little sheet of paper, a half sheet, 
And it looks something like this on the screen. And that is something for you to take home with you. And we ask you to pray about it and and seriously pray about it. What do you hear God saying to us as a congregation? What are the things, if Jesus were writing a letter to us, what are the things that he would say, wow, you're doing really good at? And what are the things, how would he, how is he on a regular basis um, shown himself to us in our life as a church community? How do we see Jesus? And what would Jesus say, wow, you guys probably ought to take a look at how you're living with this. I think maybe you could do better. And we'd invite you to write all these things down. And starting next Sunday, there'll be a box back here by the door. And you can just drop your paper in there. You don't have to write your name on it. And each Sunday, you'll have a chance to respond. And then on the eighth week of this, we're going to uh, take those papers and look at them and uh, see what we see, if there are trends of what God is trying to say to our congregation. And so with that in mind, I bring us again to verse 29 of chapter 2. And I would like for us to read that together because I think it's so important. Because I think sometimes we're not very good listeners. In fact, a lot of time I'm not a very good listener. But this verse says, are your ears awake? Are your ears awake? Are our spiritual ears perked up? Listen. Listen to the wind words. The Spirit blowing through the churches. The Spirit of God is here this morning. The Spirit of God is present in this community. God wants to do amazing things in our homes and our communities. I have no doubt about that. But we have to be willing to listen, to tune in to his spirit to see where he would have us to go. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we admit to you that we're not very good listeners. At least I'm not. And I would ask that you would just help me to become a better listener. And help each one of us to know and to be aware of that spirit, of your spirit, that's present in our hearts, that wants to get our attention. And Lord, we believe that you want to get our attention as a congregation as well. And so we ask that you would just speak to each of us in the weeks ahead as we listen to you and as we record what we hear. And that as we then distill that information that we would get a clear picture of where you would have us to go as your people in central Kansas. Lord, I just pray you would bless these people today as they go about their lives this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.